Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I think it's important to acknowledge that it's a deep relationship. It's also quite a complex relationship on both sides of the border. If you go down to the really rural domestic areas, you're most likely to find Papua New Guineans that know something about Australia than if you were to do the same thing for ordinary Australians and what they would know about PNG. What frustrates me often is how we're not keeping up in terms of our knowledge of Papua New Guinea with Papua New Guineans who actually know quite a lot of bit about us. You're listening to the National Security Podcast, the show that brings you expert analysis, insights and opinion on the national security challenges facing Australia and the Indo-Pacific. Produced by the ANU National Security College. Welcome to the National Security Podcast. I'm Rory Medcalf, the head of the National Security College at the Australian National University. And it's a privilege to welcome our listeners to this special episode where we talk about one of the most important bilateral relationships for Australia uh, in our region, anywhere in the world indeed, and that's relations with Papua New Guinea. And I'm joined in a moment by three very special guests to to discuss that 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 issue. It's very timely, of course, because it's almost immediately after the visit to Australia by PNG Prime Minister Marape. Before we begin, I'll acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where we're holding this conversation today, and uh, acknowledge uh, and celebrate the elders of uh, the Ngunnawal people and Ngambri people, their elders past, present and emerging and pay my respects to them. So Australia and Papua New Guinea, uh, a relationship which in the words of uh, Prime Minister Marape recently is uh, effectively joined at the hip, affirming, reaffirming the extraordinary proximity of, of our two nations, two nations with very distinct and different histories and yet uh, a very intimate connection uh, that really requires us to forge uh, a shared future. My guests for this conversation are on now introduced. Firstly, from the Australian National University, just across campus, uh, I welcome uh, Dr. Na Yahamui Rooney, who is a lecturer with the School of Culture, History and Language uh, at the College of Asia and Pacific. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And joining us from elsewhere in Australia, it's great to have Oliver Nobetau from the Lowy Institute in Sydney, but Oliver is a Pacific Fellow there, a FDC Pacific Fellow at Lowy, uh, on secondment from the government of Papua New Guinea. And then, of course, a, uh, a long-standing friend of the National Security College, uh, Ian Kemish, uh, a distinguished advisor to the National Security College. And of course, Ian is a former senior Australian diplomat with an extensive career in foreign affairs and foreign policy but particularly including service as the High Commissioner in Port Moresby. Welcome, Ian. 
Great to be with you. And Oliver, I might um, I might start with you, if I may, and then uh, work around our, our our three guests. There are several topics I'd really like us to cover in the next uh, little while. And please, if at any point you have your own perspective on the relationship where you feel uh, I'm missing something, please please jump in because I know that in many cases we're speaking to a, in my view, surprisingly low level of uh, of understanding of the dynamics of, of PNG here in Australia. But let's start with the visit. Uh, so February 2024, we've had uh, a historic occasion because not only have we had a visit to Australia uh, by the PM of PNG, not only are uh, we following on from a, uh, a landmark security agreement between the two countries, but of course, uh, we had uh, an address to the Australian Parliament and indeed uh, an address here at ANU. And so PNG is very much in the news in Australia. And there's a context to that, including the regional security context, uh, the way in which both our countries are seeking to respond to the rise and influence of China. Uh, There's a context of political uh, and indeed social instability that we've seen on the streets in Port Moresby recently. But there's also a larger context about development, about the needs and the aspirations of the population, at least 10 million, who knows the precise number, but the population of our neighbour, of PNG, uh, many of of those people, young people, an extraordinary youth demographic, uh, extraordinary human potential, uh, extraordinary natural endowments of resources, and yet lots of political security environmental challenges. So really beginning with you, Oliver, what do you see as the big takeouts from uh, Mr. Marape's visit? Uh, maybe if anything surprised you, what can you share with our listeners? Yeah, thanks, Rory. Um, I guess sharing my reflection on the sharing my reflection on the speech by Marape, uh, I think he did a really good job in portraying himself not necessarily as the prime minister. He made history as being the first prime minister from PNG and, and any other Pacific Island state to address uh, the Australian parliament. Uh, but I think he did very well to speak on his behalf as sort of the chief, as he mentioned, was the chief servant of a nation and really the mouthpiece. And I think the key takeaway is that it signifies the elevation of the relationship between Australia and PNG. And it seems to elevate that to the highest level when we consider PNG uh, and Australia as sovereigns. So I think I think he did well to address that. His speech sort of encompassed um, the growth that PNG has, the shared history um, and the assistance that Australia has provided to PNG from its uh, colonial administration to modern day support. Uh, and as you mentioned, he's talked about the geographic, uh, yeah, geographical proximity between both of the countries. So I think the key takeaway is that the relationship between PNG and Australia has been elevated to a very high degree. And I think it's up to both countries now to really maintain that and to use that momentum going forward. So in that case, um, what, were there any surprises or was this more a case of building momentum that was already there? Were, were there any breakthroughs, changes, discontinuities? Yeah, I, I think the fact that he focused his speeches, uh, he, he sort of spoke uh, both at the dinner prior to the prior to the address, at the address, and then ANU after. Um, I think a lot of people expected that he would be talking about sort of the collaboration and the areas in which they would move forward. I understand that they had a bilateral meeting uh, together, and that's probably where that was discussed. But in terms of sort of the public addresses that he did, he focused it on 
uh, on on focusing on the relationship uh, between Australian PNG and where it's come uh, since since independence. Dr. Rooney, what was your take on the visit? Yeah, I um I thought it was very very significant. Uh, as Oliver's just said, it elevates the relationship um, between Australia and Papua New Guinea rightfully to a to a very significant important level for both countries. As a Papua New Guinean who's lived and worked in Australia, uh, for me, one of the Take homes was um, the reciprocity in, in this. Uh, we had uh, Albanese speaking and addressing the Papua New Guinea Parliament in two, last year, I believe, two thousand twenty-three, and this year, listening to both those speeches, it, it was very much a national conversation occurring between uh, uh, both countries, yeah. effectively. Yeah, and so, and this was important, I think. Into, from a Papua New Guinean standpoint, because there were some questions raised last year when Albanese was one of the few leaders ever to to address the parliament, is would a Papua New Guinean leader ever be granted the same kind of um, status in Australia? So as a reci- reciprocating that kind mm. of uh, gesture, I think was very significant. Uh, the other thing I think was notable from Australia someone sitting in Australia and watching it is the bipartisanship between the two two uh two big parts of Australian politics. And for me that that signals, I hope, um something that Australians will take note of in terms of how to relate to Papua New Guinea. And I can speak a little bit more in terms of when that doesn't happen, in terms of issues around asylum seekers, for example. Mm. So I thought for me this was uh uh, at, at something a bit different in the way Australia relates to Papua New Guinea. Maybe it's a little surprising that it uh, hasn't happened before. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's, again, a, a signal that both countries are wishing to maybe reframe the relationship uh, between each other. So, Ian, I'm going to turn to you, and, of course, it's been it's been a long, short history, if you like, uh, since PNG independence in 1975 uh, and, of course, the earlier relationship uh, before then. Uh, a lot has changed. Maybe Australian perceptions have not always moved as quickly as the reality, but we'll come back to the perception issue a bit later on. Firstly, I'd love to hear your take on the importance of the visit, uh, perhaps what was said and perhaps what was unsaid as well. Yeah, thanks, Rory. I've, I sat there in the gallery um, at Parliament House and listened to that speech and was quite moved uh, and had a real sense of the historic occasion. I also spent my childhood in Papua New Guinea and we left just immediately prior to, to independence. So I suppose I, I, I have perhaps an overdeveloped sense of the history of the, mm. of the relationship in some ways. But I, I listened to the Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea, I think belatedly, I think you're right, I think we should have done this much sooner, speaking to our parliament. Um, uh, he talked about us being joined at the hip, as you say, um, and how we have no choice but to get along. But actually that line um, belies the very positive and quite deep approach I thought he took in speaking to the Australian Parliament. I was struck by how, you know, it took the Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea to come down to Canberra to take Australian parliamentarians through their own history with his country. Um, 
outside the speech, uh, I was, you know, fortunate to be at a dinner where he also spoke the previous night. Uh, he said something else I found interesting. He said there's more to this relationship than Kokoda and the NRL. And, you know, he paid respect to the spirit of Kokoda uh, and you know, that those wartime sacrifices from 1942, and he certainly didn't downplay the um, interest of, uh, in entering into our rugby league competition. But his point, and this was one of the points I got from the speech, is that there's so much more to the history than that. Um, there are a couple of lines he used, um, and one really struck with me. He said something to the effect of, here I am speaking in the language you taught me. Um, he also spoke about worshipping a God that your missionaries brought to our country. Um, and he called out the presence of um, some patrol elderly people who, who had served as patrol officers um, in pre-independence and immediate post-independence Papua New Guinea. Tr- trying to illustrate, I thought, that there was just so much more to it than we often think. And, look, the last line that struck me and that's that I'll mention um, was the very last line of the speech. He said, I think it was this, um, contribute what you think you can and leave the rest to us, um, which I thought was a really useful reminder that this is in the end a sovereign nation and we Australians should not be feeling like we are directly responsible for its success or failure because while we're there to support, um, to take that kind of attitude is slightly patronising and um, takes away from that sense of sovereignty. I want to come back to some of those issues of perception, which although there's an enormous amount of substance to the relationship, certainly when you look at the economic or security or development or education or environmental factors, you know, there are so many areas where this is not just a relationship that we should be talking about. It's a relationship that must involve doing. But let's stick with the perception side because that is really fundamental to the, I think, the political priority that both our countries place. And and I really appreciate, Ian, that you've uh, you, you, you've mentioned those points of, uh, of Marape's speech where he talked about history, he talked about the, uh, the complexities and also the positives of the past. Uh, and I think there are those of us, and I think, Speaking from my own experience, who who have a personal connection with PNG in my, my own case. In fact, I was born there. Just as a little um, a little aside to uh, to, to friends from uh, particularly from uh, from the Highlands. I was born in Garoka, uh, of all places. Um, but and and my parents were school teachers there um, back back in the day. But a recognition that Australians. Uh, in many ways, you know, for better, sometimes for worse, were involved in the uh, the early development of PNG, and that message that you know that PNG is an independent country charting its own destiny will do so as as partners, but Australia is not responsible <laughs> for what happens next. We do it together. That's a really important message, I think, for Australians who care about PNG to um, to respect and understand. So I think that's a point where I'd like to ask. Uh, each of you perhaps to move back to that perception issue. And I actually might come back to you first, Dr. Rooney, if you don't mind, because you spoke about reciprocity before. Um, So where do we go from here in terms of getting the mutual perceptions to a level where we can do good practical things together in the relationship? 
Yeah, um, excellent question and difficult question. I I I think it's important to to uh, also acknowledge that it's a deep relationship. It's also quite a complex relationship on both sides of the border uh, for each country with what each is uh, grappling with internally. And so just as a response to that, one thing that stood out for me that I felt a bit sad as someone who votes in Australia Mm -hmm. was the whole celebration of sovereignty and sovereignty of Papua New Guinea and the kind of really important moment of being in the Australian parliament, but that uh, there was an opportunity there to acknowledge Australia's indigenous people. And as we know, Australia lost an opportunity, I think last year to, to vote for the voice referendum. And although it hasn't really been touched on in terms of uh, the kind of regional discourse, it, a few have commented on it. I think it will uh, shape how it, it has the potential to shape Australia's relationships with a country like Papua New Guinea. And, uh, you know, they talk about the deep historical relationship, and that goes back to ancient uh, times when Indigenous peoples were relating to each other before the idea of state sovereign borders came through. So so the the issue of sovereignty and, and perception mm. of whose sovereignty are we celebrating and whose sovereignty uh, are we talking about, I think is, I think is going to become a contested issue here. Um, also because Australia is, uh, we see Australia celebrating this idea of indigenous diplomacy. So how can, you know, and here we have the leader of um Papua New Guinea in the parliament, but no Indigenous Australians alongside him to celebrate that idea of sovereignty and indigeneity. So I just thought I'd highlight that as something, as someone who votes in Australia, who who tries to understand Australian politics in, in the Pacific region, and someone who's Papua New Guinean, who feels very, very strongly about Papua New Guinean sovereignty. I think this is um, a shoe, a kind of a moral dilemma that uh, the two countries will face, but particularly Australia. It's a reminder that the the First Nations issues and Indigenous diplomacy is very much not just a domestic consideration in in, in Australia. And I guess uh, Torres Strait is uh, its connective tissue as well, isn't it? And can I ask you that to go a little bit further on the, on the, the reciprocity or mutuality question? I mean, how we're seeing one another and and what we're doing for one another and and where that can work and where that perhaps hasn't worked. Yeah, so this is this for me I think is uh, uh, something new emerging out of the uh, conversation and we see it in the um, the kind of sec- recent security agreement. Uh, can I go please, to that topic please. already? Where they talk about um, this was for me struck me is. Um, shared security interests, including by virtue of geographic proximity and that decisions taken by one family affect the security of the other. So oftentimes we, that historical relationship has often meant what can Australia do for Papua New Guinea, whereas um, I think that statement I'd like to think of it as what happens in each country's domestic politic arena that has an impact on the other. And I think this is 
something we saw. It's not often um, talked about in security space, but the issue of uh, the example as a case study, the issue of the Manus Island Regional Processing Centre was very much born out of Australia's domestic politics and crept yeah. and into the Papua New Guinea political space. And it was a could easily and is a for Australia domestically and politically a border security issue as much as it was a, a human security immigration issue. And I think this is where Australian domestic politics needs to be a little bit um, nuanced and a little bit smarter in in that relationship. It's it's not just Papua New Guinea's security and not just law and order in Papua New Guinea that matters for Australian security, but actually the Australian context and domestic politics equally matters for Papua New Guinea. So the other example, very briefly, is the drug trade. Yeah. We, we've seen recently issues around drugs escalating in the region. The market is Australia. And so if that's not sorted out in Australia, there are huge ramifications across the border. Just, yeah, it's demand as well yeah. as supply, right? Yeah. So mutuality requires some inward-looking, soul-searching on the part of Australia. So if we if we move to issues of practical cooperation, which we will, we've got to have the right mindset to, to, to do it. Let me go to you, Oliver, because the security agreement has been mentioned, of course. The security agreement dates from, I think, late last year uh, and comes in the context of uh, really strengthening a number of security agreements around the region and and, and the China context. We, we, we all know that uh, China is trying to, exert its own influence in the region, including through agreements. Uh, but that's not the only factor. How do you read the significance and the substance of the security agreement in particular? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Rory. I, I agree with what Dr. Rini has mentioned in terms that the relationship is quite a complex one. Um, I was privileged enough to assist the negotiating team, uh, the PNG negotiating team, when going through the text. And the issue of sovereignty uh, did pop up. I think both parties did well to approach the negotiation table with the understanding that both were sovereigns. And one of the underlying issues that was faced there was whether or not uh, laws would be changed to accommodate for this agreement. And they agreed from the outset that that wouldn't be the case, which is why there were a number of, I guess, legal obstacles that had to be worked out. And I think in the end, they did a really good job to do that. Um, and it, you ended up with what was really a balanced text. Um, one of the underlying issues as well, or the recurring themes that was discussed uh, as part of the negotiations was the issue of internal security. And I think the recent civil unrest uh, in January in Port Moresby was a clear example of that and why the cooperation between both uh, both of the countries should focus on sort of beefing up police capacity uh, in order to deal with these. Because like... Um, what Dr. Rooney had mentioned, it's that what happens in one country affects the other, uh, whether or not you, uh, whether you like it or not. So in some ways, this was, this was a, this was an ideal opportunity to really expand that relationship. And, and that's sort of what they did, I guess, managing the perceptions as well as to how this relationship works. I think it's also a, a generational thing. I think younger Papua New Guineans moving forward have a really stronger sense of identity and they want to push forward. And when they come to talk with each other, they see each other as equals. Um, so I think, I think that's, that's a positive thing uh, in the relationship between us. We'll be right back. Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In a volatile world, Australia's strategic problem demands difficult decisions. Licensed by an inclusive conversation, the ANU National Security College is proud to present Securing Our Future, a conference like no other, informing a distinctly Australian, people-centred vision of national security. Bringing together diverse Australian and international voices, we are bridging disciplines, professions and viewpoints. Join us in Canberra on the 9th and 10th of April this year to engage with thought leaders and decision makers from government, academia and industry. For more details and to secure your ticket, visit the link in the show notes. The ANU National Security College. Engaging minds for a secure Australia. So Ian, let's get a sense from you not only a of the importance of the security agreement, and, and feel free to feel free to ask questions about that as well. But but uh, it looks like a, a pretty historic step. But more broadly, if this is about strengthening our bilateral engagement, are we are we understanding? Are we measuring that accurately? Are, are, are there ways beyond these high level visits and these documents where we can track uh, the relationship that the two countries need to have with one another? I think that the the relationship that we should have with each other is one that is genuinely based on relationship. Now, that's the kind of thing that diplomats and former diplomats say. That's Um, a slightly uh, circular expression. Please explain. (laughs) What I mean is that uh, personal relationship and personal links are fundamental to an overall uh, bilateral relationship. Now, we tend to often speak certainly in in a political context, about the relationship in terms of the dollar spend uh, under the Australian aid program. Um, I'm here to say that uh, Australian dollars are generally well spent in in, in Papua New Guinea um, and well intended. Um, But in the end, uh, an aid program doesn't buy you influence. It doesn't buy you that closeness in the relationship that I think we all, all, all would like to see. Um, I think influence and genuine engagement is based on real personal relationship. Now, I happened to be High Commissioner at a particularly fraught moment politically um, for, for PNG, a moment of generational change between the, for the former Somari administration and the then O'Neill administration, and um, we played our part in helping to um, keep the temperature down um, and helping to ensure that, working with Papua New Guineans, to ensure that um, a political issue did not become more than that. But we weren't able to play an influential um a uh, supportive role because of the size of our aid program or because we had a defence force behind us. As a group of people, we had a set of relationships which meant that we could 
reach out and talk to people and be part of the discussion. Um, we had to be very respectful uh, as we went. And to me, that's that memory of that moment um, reminds me that um, that question of that point about personal relationship is fundamental. The odd thing about this relationship is that there are actually thousands of Australians who have some kind of personal link with, with Papua New Guinea. Um, uh, you know, Dr. Rooney, you're a special one, um, uh, a member of, of that community. Um, Rory's a member. I'm a member. You know, we're, we're, we're people who I sometimes say belong to an Australian tribe who have connectivity with Papua New Guinea. And yet the paradox is that for many other Australians, it's it's kind of a bit of a blank spot. And that shouldn't be the case given the country's proximity and given the history we have with each other. I think that building those personal relationships, building that mutual awareness um, uh, rests in the end on knowing the history better. And so crudely, is there is there misperception or ignorance or how would you characterise, you know, Australian perceptions? What I'd say is that uh, Australians uh, generally are content with a very superficial uh, knowledge of what happens in Papua New Guinea. Law and order looms large. Uh, and yeah, media headlines. That's not, and, that's yeah. not to downplay uh, the law and order challenges faced in some of some parts of the country. China looms large uh, in any discussion about Papua New Guinea. And you've just got to look at our media. Journalists struggle to get a story about Papua New Guinea up if there, unless there is some lurid uh, law and order story or unless China is involved, and that should not be the case. Um, and, look, the other, the other thing we do, as I was say, saying before, is we tend to overstate uh, the importance of our aid relationship with the country as some kind of dis- decisive um, uh, capability that we have. In the end, the Australian aid program is a significant contribution by Australian taxpayers, but it's actually very small relative to the size of the Papua New Guinea budget, um, uh, to the size of the GDP of the country. And um, in the end, the future of this country is in the hands of its own people and its own leaders, not us. Dr. Rooney, if we were to pick up on that point and think about this moment of you know, momentum from the two governments, uh, but perhaps not enough momentum at a popular level or um, among sort of elite societies and civil society in both countries, if there are things that you could change about the way the two countries or the two societies perceive one another, what would they be? Ooh, I um I think the Australian media, if we're talking about Australian perceptions, Australian media, Australian scholars, uh, people who, as um, Ian just mentioned, there is there's like a bubble of a community of people that have this very very long term intimate relationship, and you you work and you operate in this kind of silo and bubble and everything else, and then you're sitting here and you're watching Australian news go past you, and every time I click on a news article, I. I make a bet with myself, is China mentioned in the article? It could be about betel nut selling or some other really beautiful cultural thing in Papua New Guinea that would be wonderful for the Australian audience to know about Mm. and read about. And then 
oh, there's China. It's, it's like a little bit more effort to talk about place and people uh, as important in its own right, as the relationship being important in its own right, to emphasize friendship, to emphasize uh, connection, uh, that not everything is about the China threat or some other threat to the Australian border. And, you know, it's good for Australia to think to think beyond that. It's healthy for all of us. You know, when we, even in our own homes, when we're talking to our ourselves, our children, we tell ourselves, don't live in fear, get out and live and have good friendships and social relationships. So I think uh, there's a bit of um, responsibility, I shall say, uh, on the media, because the Australian media is very powerful. I think that's acknowledged. Uh, politicians, I think one of the things, if correct me if I'm wrong, but Marape noted in his speech was saying to the uh, parla- Australian parliamentarians that my message isn't just for this House, this floor of parliament, but when you go into your electorates, please extend Papua New Guinea's greetings and please extend our uh, friendship. And so I think that kind of labor, and oftentimes for those of us who are in this space, you often feel like you're carrying extra labor. You not only have to do your day to day work, but you've got to do this extra work of building the friendships. So, you know, the, the, the moment we saw with Albanese speaking in Papua New Guinea and Marape speaking here is a moment to take the messages and and extend that kind of address that perception issue. What about what about turning that around and looking at how within PNG society you can you can help achieve a, a rounded understanding of what Australia is? I mean, how, what's your view on that? Oh, that to me, that's vital. I don't know what Oliver will think. Oliver might want to comment on this, but I don't know if, uh, you know, Australia through its aid has a strong mechanism by which to teach um, issues, but they're not always about Australian politics. So it was only after coming here to Australia and beginning to vote that I went, oh my gosh, I had didn't realize how much the Australian electorate matters for how aid is delivered. And so I think, you know, I don't know if there's an Australian studies course at um, University of Papua New Guinea, Oliver might, um, but understanding Australia from Papua New Guinea's perspective, yes, of course, there's the colonial issues and the, the race, but kind of a deeper understanding of that relationship that that yeah. I think would help. And I guess, again, the complexity of Australia yeah. today. Thank you. Let's throw the ball back to Oliver then because um, on, on any of these points that we've covered, the point of mutual perception, uh, be interested, and including the question of how do we build a relationship that is comprehensive, that is about awareness across the two societies, but also recognises that we do have strategic challenges. I mean, maybe China shouldn't be the number one issue, but it's it's there. Um, what, what's, what's your perception on what we ought to be doing, Oliver? Yeah, uh, I, I, think, I think Dr. Rooney raised a really good point because it's complex. And I think that's the thing too. It's, it's difficult to pinpoint, I guess, the perception um, that Papua New Guineans have of Australia. I don't think, in my own personal opinion, I don't believe it's a negative one um, because a lot of the times I think we're not too concerned with 
Australian domestic politics. I think PNG has its own issues to deal with. Uh, many issues that, uh, like what's being mentioned, we're not always concerned about, I guess, the geopolitical game that's being played. We're not too concerned about the whole politics between China, the US and the region uh, and all that. So it's, 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 I think it's a difficult question to answer as to where exactly we can sort of plug in to help manage those perceptions. I know that if you sort of scale both of both of the countries, people, if you go down to the really rural domestic areas, you're most likely to find Papua New Guineans that know something about Australia than if you were to, if you were to do the same thing for ordinary Australians and what they would know about PNG. And that's actually a really interesting observation because uh, obviously levels of economic development are different in both countries. Levels of connectivity, uh, levels levels of access to information are different, and so um, you know it would be easy to assume it was the other way around. Um, that's actually quite a powerful observation to make, and I the more I think about it, it's probably true. Um, so there's there's a perception gap we have we have to bridge. Um, I want to also bring democracy back into the conversation because going to Mr. Marape's speeches, both at the Australian National University uh, here, but also at the Australian Parliament, he very much emphasised commitment to democracy. Democracy is really part of the national identity of PNG. And I think if we're thinking about what links our societal, political, economic and, uh, and indeed security ties together, one of those shared bonds is trying to make democracy work. It's not perfect anywhere, uh, and yet uh, it obviously provides uh, fantastic opportunity for participation in decision-making. So I would quite like to hear perhaps one or two thoughts before we close from each of you about uh, the future of PNG democracy, and then I want to give you each a chance if you've got one particular special theme that you'd, you'd like to share with Listeners, um, Ian, I know you've done some work recently on Bougainville, and I do want to um, not end the conversation without coming back to that. Um, I'd love to each give you a chance to touch on one additional theme as well. But perhaps first on on democracy, um, Oliver, I might just go back to you first, if you don't mind. It's a tricky question, I guess, to answer. Right now, as I'm sure you'd be aware, uh, we have the first parliament sitting uh, for the year. And the opposition is looking to move uh, for a motion of no confidence uh, against the government. In terms of the democratic future, I think PNG domestically will try to make it work. And you're right, this is a shared link uh, that both countries deal with. Uh, and it's it's something that connects both of the countries. The democratic future of PNG really does depend on themselves and as much as Australia would like to uh, like to assist I think the observation that was made by Ian earlier reflecting on uh, Marpe's comments during the speech uh, saying you know uh, do your best and sort of leave the rest to us I think that's the trajectory that it's going to follow and really the future of our democracy is in the hands of Papua New Guineans themselves so whether or not they can make it work thank you um, so dr Rooney what, what's your view yeah I I agree and I um, I guess we're approaching 50 years uh, next year, right, of uh, 50 years of democratic nation-state identity. And, yes, there have been ups and downs. Yes, there is a lot of problems uh, and sort of depends on how you measure democracy. I, I think as a Papua New Guinean woman, I would say we need more equality yeah. and more to to 
definitely address gender-based violence. We need more women in in parliament. These are no-brainers for yeah. me. Uh, that said, I think um, I think Papua New Guinea so far has has uh, what do you say uh, the test of time? The the Papua New Guinea Constitution I think has been tested, and I, you know I like to think that it's showing robustness in dealing with a whole heap of issues. It's not perfect, but elections are held mm. on the cycle every five years. The vote of no confidence, uh, give or take, seems to happen. And um, and importantly is you've had some really significant tests to the constitution of Papua New Guinea, including things like coming back to the bilateral relationship, uh, Australia's uh, enhanced cooperation um, program, which saw the back in the day, which seems to be reviving, being revived again now, the the kind of placement of Australian police in Papua New Guinea, uh, the Australian uh, Regional Processing Centre on Manus. So these again are examples of issues where Australia's domestic issues flew mm. over, f- flow into Papua New Guinea, and they've been constitutionally challenged in Papua New Guinea and and overthrown. So. Depending on which angle you you look at, if it comes to women, definitely I will say that we're not doing well at all. Uh, and if it comes to the robustness of the constitution, I think uh, it's in an all right place. Yeah. And on those issues, and I will I'll sort of conclude my my um, conversation with you on the, on this point, uh, Dr. Rooney, uh, particularly on on gender. Um, where do you see scope? Bilaterally between Australia and PNG uh, to to work together to help to help PNG reach where you need it to be. Yeah, so this is a, a place where I think Australia has been really catalytic in Papua New Guinea, and and it's a place you know across the board in in and Ian, you might correct me uh, as someone who's sort of led in this space, but I think gender-based violence, uh, the work in the law and justice sector, advocating for equality, I think I think Papua, um, Australia has made really significant contributions. And, you know, given, given the cultural context of Papua New Guinea, the male-dominated mm. cultural context, there's very minimal budget in the Australian uh, Papua New Guinean budget, sorry, the Papua New Guinean budget, very limited budgeted given to these kinds of w- issues that help to progress women or advance women. Um, and Australia and other donors, but very significantly Australia has uh, sort of met that gap yeah. in catalytic ways. It's not a lot, but it's been very, very important. That said, that said, there's a qualification, if you will allow me. Um, things like the the regional processing center on Manus Island, uh, that, that really, I've got a paper on it, uh, that really undermined Australia's work there by with some of the gendered impacts. Um, and therefore, moving forward, I think that it's really careful. Uh, Australia and Papua New Guinea should really be careful about some of these security arrangements and things like militarization to make sure that gendered impacts are mitigated, gendered and social impacts on local communities are mitigated. So, a mixed bag, but overall, I'd say Australia does important work. 
Thank and you. Should and not be, should not undermine it. And thanks so. for that that holistic view of uh, of what security is. So I'll, I'll each give our other two guests uh, a few moments to uh, to conclude their observations. And I might go to you first, Ian. Whether it's for the work you've done recently on Bougainville, uh, which is very topical, uh, or in some other area, uh, what would you like to leave our listeners with? I'll mention Bougainville first. Bougainville um, uh, is a you know, is is it's a an element of Papua New Guinea under its current constitution. Um, we're in a situation now where the people of Bougainville have overwhelmingly voted to leave Papua New Guinea, and uh, a decision is yet to be made um, in the Papua New Guinea Parliament about whether to support or endorse that. Um, the way ahead is potentially fraught. Uh, many of us remember the impact of the civil war that took place through the 1990s, uh, certainly in Bougainville, but more broadly across Papua New Guinea. Um, uh, the social and economic uh, consequences of that conflict were, were very significant. And, of course, no, none of us wish to go back there. I'm not suggesting we will, but it's a, it's a, it's an issue which should be front of mind, certainly for Papua New Guinean politicians. Um and it should also be front of mind for those of us in the broader region who are concerned about regional security. Um, so, and you're right, I, ha- I have written about it. Um, I am encouraged by what I'm hearing about uh, the Australian government sort of moving to think more carefully and more deeply about that set of issues in recent weeks and months. But I'm hopeful that we can build a new sense of collaboration with Papua New Guinea, we and we Australians and, and Papua New Guineans and others, in seeking to find good solutions to that issue. I um but my 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 last point is this. Um, it's a quick anecdote if I may. Uh, when I was quite new in the position as High Commissioner, this is back in 2010, I uh, visited Popandetta. And I was there for uh, a ceremony to recognise those who had supported the um, Australian war effort uh, 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 across through the Kokoda region um, way back in 1942. As the ceremony finished, a man of my own age appeared in front of me and said, Ian, it's Wellington. And this was a person who I had lived next door to as a child. Uh, and, uh, you know, it had been, I don't know, 40 years since, since we'd seen each other. He, we embraced, of course. It was quite a moving moment. But the point of the story is this. He had his, uh, daughter and her husband and other family members, um, with him. And each of them started to talk to me about my family and, uh, they displayed a level of knowledge about, you know, who my brother was, um, who my parents were. They knew our stories. And it was kind of embarrassing because I didn't know theirs. And for me, um, I'm going back to a point that Oliver made. There is this strange imbalance in our mutual knowledge of each other, which I do think needs to be addressed as a matter of priority. But in the end, um, what frustrates me often is um, how uh, we're not keeping up in terms of our knowledge of Papua New Guinea with Papua New Guineans who actually know quite a lot of bit about us. And that was, to, for me, the overwhelming thought as I listened to the Prime Minister speaking in our parliament last week. 
Thank you, uh, Ian. Oliver, I'll leave the last word to you. Uh, thanks very much, Rory. Uh, and if I can uh, sort of build off of what uh, Ian has mentioned as well, I'm sorry, I feel like I've been doing this a lot, but Ian's a bit of a, a rock star in the diplomatic space between PNG and Australia. So uh, on the on the, on the the point of Bougainville, um, I guess it's Ian did publish, uh, he wrote a paper on it last year. And I think that uh, it's it's quite encouraging. My my father is Bougainvillian as well, but I think that because of the issue that we're facing now in Bougainville, I would like to see a lot more people contributing their views on it. Sometimes people are a, a little bit uh, weary on speaking on the issue because I think sometimes they feel they lack the social credentials to talk about it. But I think in order to move uh, forward positively uh, with the Bougainville issue, people need to be able to express their views and contribute as to how development will go. Um, but I, I guess, you know, leaving on my point, what I think and coming back to the whole security issue, and if you consider Bougainville too, to be, uh, it could potentially, it has the potential to be one of like the biggest security issues that, uh, PNG would face and then ultimately Australia, or it has the, I guess, prospects to be a real asset to, uh, to Papua New Guinea. But I think one thing that can, both countries can sort of work on in this security space is to start talking more uh, about security in the non-traditional uh, security sense. Um, a lot of the times people view things in terms of uh, the traditional security elements, military police, but there's so many different elements to it now and the threats that we face uh, in terms of you know economic security, climate security. So I think if if we can have more conversations around uh, these elements of security, I think they open up more pathways for collaboration uh, between between both of the countries. Look, thanks, Oliver. It's been a very substantial conversation. We've covered a lot of ground, and yet uh, I think you've all identified pathways for future uh, dialogue and conversations. And I think even the Bougainville issue alone is probably worth a um, a future episode. I was just reflecting that it, uh, I think it was uh, quite some time ago, nineteen ninety eight, that I served there as a, a peace monitor. And I think the you know there there is a hope that we've made enormous progress on that issue. But it's really important to remember that um, we, we can only, uh, if you like, preserve the gains by, by constant attention to it. So, look, thank you to all three of you for your thoughts, your times, your, your time, your insights today. Um, I'm going to do something slightly unusual uh, for the podcast and just take my prerogative as host to, um, to dedicate this episode to my mother who passed away last year and spent much of her life as a schoolteacher in Papua New Guinea. Uh, and I think that uh, she'd be you know, thrilled to know that we're having a conversation like this today, that, that, that people of goodwill in both countries are really looking to the future. So let me thank our guests, uh, of course, Ian Kemish, but also our guests uh, who are from PNG, uh, Oliver Nobetau, and also, of course, Dr. Na Yahamui Rooney from the Australian National University. Thanks for joining us on the National Security Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.